welcome back to the Jesus Tactics. This is Gabe, and today Phil and I are interviewing our good friend Kelly. And Kelly's going to share with us kind of her journey from a season of order in her faith, maybe even a little bit legalistic, into a season of disorder where she started asking questions and there were a lot of disruptions, and now how she's coming out on the other side into a season of reorder. And it's just confirmation to me that when we go through this this cycle, that when we're in this season of disorder, we feel like we're getting farther away from God, that we're moving farther away from Jesus. But really what we find on the other side is that we're closer to him than we have ever been before. When we come out of disorder and into some reorder, we see him more clearly for who he really is, and we love him more. We see that he is beautiful and wonderful because some of the things that were blocking our view, who were things that were hindering us when we were in the initial season of order, are now gone. And he has removed those things so that we can walk more closely with him and have more assurance about his presence in our life. Maybe not all of our questions answered. In fact, definitely not all of our questions answered because then it wouldn't be a life of faith. But we, we walk more closely with the person of Jesus when we leave that season of disorder. I think you'll love this interview with Kelly. It's going to be very encouraging. Thanks for being with us. Well, today we have uh, Kelly with us. Kelly, thanks for being here. My pleasure. We are talking about deconstruction and what happens when we start to question things that we we always just assumed or we took for granted. And we see some seasons in this. So we see that a lot of times we start in with some order in our life and then something happens, which causes us to feel like we're in a season of disorder, which is scary and uncertain and foggy. And there's lots of, lots of questioning happening and then we come out the other side um, into a season of kind of reorder. I know you've kind of had those seasons in your life and we're just kind of interested to hear your story. Yeah. And I'm excited to talk about it with you guys. I love your podcast. It has been a balm to my soul during this time. So um, as has your friendship, by the way. Um, But so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk through all of this with you guys. Um, and I love looking at deconstruction through this lens that you've identified of order, disorder, reorder. And I think it's because it's, it's reassuring to me because it helps me see my spiritual journey isn't unusual or problematic, but that it's really a healthy growth pattern. And yeah, I find that reassuring. So I entered into a, a spiritually ordered life as a 24-year-old. I had just finished grad school. I moved to San Diego to live with my then boyfriend and now husband. And some people came and knocked on our apartment door and invited us to a Bible discussion group that they had in our apartment complex. After going to that for a little while, they invited each of us to do personal, individualized Bible studies. 
And uh, both of us had grown up going to church, but neither one of us really knew the scriptures well or had devoted ourselves to them. And so over the next period of months, I met with a small group of wonderful women who just really blew me away by how loving they were, how seriously they took God's word. Uh, and they taught me a lot from the scriptures and from their lives. And I'd, I'd never met people like them. And I felt during that time that I found my purpose in life. And it was to go anywhere, do anything, give up everything for God, to make disciples of all nations, to reach the world with the gospel in one generation. And you know, I think that was when my life became very spiritually ordered. Church was the center of everything, my life, my marriage, my family, our friendships. I felt I knew my Bible well. I felt I knew what God wanted from me and what I needed to do to be a good Christian. And that phase of feeling like I knew it all and everything was ordered and in, in a sense, kind of simple, lasted about 30 years. Was it a kind of a, it was a conversion experience for you. Is that right? Absolutely. Okay. So, so your life from whatever it was before 30 years ago was kind of reordered into this new order of church. And okay. Okay. So right. The cycle all over again. Cool. So this is, this is, so this is new faith. You're walking with the Lord. Um, Church is this is kind of the center of your life. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Keep keep going. Thank you. Certainly, there were ups and downs and times of growth and challenge, but pretty much my Christian walk felt very ordered for about thirty years. And then, about three years ago, I would say that was when disorder began, and. I think there were a number of things that came together at the same time to trigger that disorder. I, when I think through them, I think the first one was my own children. I think that, uh, you know, Keith and I, my husband and I have three amazing kids and they're good people and God loving and brilliant. And in, as they entered their teens, each one of them made the decision to adopt our faith, adopt the faith that they had been raised in uh, for themselves. But as they matured into adults, they began to see things in our faith community, in our church culture, in our doctrine even, um, that they were not entirely sure reflected the God they saw in the Bible. Our oldest, Casey, she began examining her faith in this way years before the rest of us. When I say the rest of us, I mean the rest of my family. And years before a sizable growing movement within our fellowship of churches began asking these types of questions. And when she did, I was still at a place where I believed we had all the answers. And I was scared. As a mom, you know, I wanted nothing more than for my kids to grow up and love God and and be true disciples and marry disciples mm-hmm. and make it to heaven and 
And I thought that I knew exactly how that had to be done. And so when okay. she started questioning, I was scared. I was afraid she was losing her faith. I um, discouraged her asking tough questions and I had kind of a knee jerk reaction to defend the church instead of really listen and seek to understand and journey with her more deeply into exploring God's word. I was defensive, afraid, but as she continued in that journey and then our other kids in very, all in their own unique way, but in very different ways began to question things that didn't feel right in their hearts. I came to realize that Jesus never discouraged questions and that if our faith and our structure of religion can't yeah. stand in the presence of questions, then it is not a sound faith. Uh, you know, if it's of God, it won't be shaken. And if it's really that fragile, then we've got other problems that we need to explore. Yeah, That was my first are thing. <laughs> are you able to give, do you have an example of maybe something that they were questioning? Oh gosh, I do. Um, <laughs> if you're comfortable uh, well, sharing, and if you're not, that's fine too. Okay, well, the first one that comes to mind is a very controversial topic, and uh, that's sexual identity, mm -hmm. uh, homosexuality specifically, mm -hmm. is something where my kids, I believe all of them, not to put them out there, but uh, I think all of them believe that much of the evangelical community has a different view on that than they than they think God has. Okay. So that would be one example. Yeah, that's a good example. Yeah, it's the and first so, one that came to mind. I wish I I wish the first one that came to mind had been a little uh less fiery, but <laughs> Yeah, right. Of course. And so when they started asking questions, I think you said your reaction was kind of fearful. Oh yeah. Particularly with the first the first child. It's very right. different. I think, you know, our, our youngest just went off to college and he's being, you know, sent off from the nest with parents that are in a completely different spot. And we're encouraging him to ask questions and encouraging him to follow his own convictions and, you know, not stay in a box that we have, you know, that he's inherited from us. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got to forge his own faith and we feel great about that. Um, that was not how we sent the girls off, the two older kids. Mm -hmm. We sent them off, you know, they've got to do what exactly what we had taught them to do, which was exactly what we were taught to do in this way with these people. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Keep going. Thank you. Yeah. Going. So um, <laughs> the second thing I think that set me into this or set me up for what I consider to be a beautiful time of disorder really was meeting you, meeting you and Heidi, Gabe. And, you know, when I first studied the Bible in the late 1980s, I was taught that there was one church. And not only was there one church, but we were it. Okay. <laughs> we were the one true church and we had the truth and the answers. And if you weren't in our fellowship, then you weren't a true Christian. You might be a good person, but you know, you were not a true Christian and we had to work to help save you. 
through the years, thankfully, that thinking evolved, but it evolved slowly. Like the next step was, well, there might be other Christians somewhere out there, but I've never met any. And if they do exist, I trust that God will bring them into our fold. You know, into your church. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. You know, because it's his desire for us to be unified and there is one church, but getting, I'm embarrassed, this is embarrassing to me, but getting to know you and seeing your life and your family and your heart for God, it was the first time that I felt like these Christians that might exist out there were actually people who had flesh and blood standing before me and it wasn't a, a theoretical concept. You were as true of a Christian as I knew. Your faith was inspiring to me. And, you know, most people now over the last several years, there've been a lot of changes. And I do think I do, it's important for me to say that I think most people in our fellowship do believe that that kind of tribal thinking that we had was wrong. But after 30 years of being kind of indoctrinated into that thinking, it was hard to break out of. So, yeah. you know, our church has tons of strengths and I'm very, very grateful for it. But realizing the naivety with mm -hmm. which I viewed it and kind of the overinflated importance of where I thought we and our fellowship were in the Christian body. No, I, that's been a big, a big change. And it really made me think, okay, so if, if there are other Christians out there, if we don't have the absolute, the corner on absolute truth, if we're just one yeah. fellowship amidst a greater evangelical universe uh, doing our best, just like others are, mm -hmm. then I'm sure there's a lot I need to learn from other people. And you guys, like I said, were really integral in that oh. realization. Yeah. So you know how deeply grateful I am for that. You know, that's mutual too. I so, had two more things. I don't know. Yeah, let's hear them. Yeah, <laughs> I gotta say, and you, you know, we've talked about this before, but the Bema podcast, Marty Solomon and his teaching, mm -hmm. that helped me see that I had inherited from my church a certain hermeneutic, and I was reading the Bible through this very narrow lens to see what I was taught to see in it. Uh, what I've recently come to figure out is that I, and I'm not, I'm still working on it through all of this, but I think that that, that the, the hermeneutic was mission and that the great commission supersedes the greatest commandment. Marty and his teaching helped me see scripture through an entirely different lens and it magnified like God's love and God's justice and God's mercy and just really challenged idol of certainty that I had mm -hmm. about scripture and mm -hmm. encouraged me to embrace questions and just see a much fuller God. And that just makes me love God more. It's, it, it's, yeah. It's been magnificent. And Marty also, he's not a member of our group of churches, but interestingly enough, a lot of people say that he is the most influential voice in our fellowship right now. And I think that's mm. why I think that so many of the things that, you know, um, have been emphasized among our brotherhood um, 
he challenges in ways that are really refreshing and just feel right. Yeah. And just for clarification, it's the BEMA podcast. Yeah. And the that's BEMA B- podcast. B-E-M-A. Yep. And yeah, their website is BEMA Discipleship. I think it's .com, but I'm not sure, but it's BEMA Discipleship. So it's not hard to find. Um, and Marty is the primary teacher, but they've brought on a group of teachers. It's just really, really wonderful, wonderful teaching. Okay. And so somebody could Google Bama Discipleship yeah. or Mar- Marty Solomon. And then I'd say the last thing is the pandemic. And I think that that's been true for a lot of people. I mean, when we were sent home, <laughs> uh, God sent us to our rooms, as they say, um, and life slowed down and all the noise around us quieted. Uh, I felt like I had stepped off the merry-go-round for the first time in 30 years mm. and that I was able to disengage my autopilot and engage my heart and brain like much more intentionally than I had previously. So I mm-hmm. spent you know, more time in the Bible. I started reading the Bible differently, like trying, trying to be very intentional about not reading the Bible with an agenda, but reading it with curiosity Definitely spending more time praying, having deep talks with brothers and sisters in the faith from all over about spiritual formation. And, um, you know, just I think God just created a space and time for us to be able to do that. So those are the things that I think triggered this wonderful time of disorder. Yeah. So it sounds like you never really questioned if there was a God. Is that, no. is that fair to say? Even before my conversion I thought I was a Christian, but I thought I was a Christian because I wasn't Jewish or Buddhist or something else. So clearly that meant I was a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> right. Sure. I mean, right. That, that's kind of like the default category in this country. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, but no, I did always believe in God and, and not before, during, or after in any of these stages have I questioned that. I've He's been too good to me. I've seen too much. Mm-hmm. So then what would you say, so now you're kind of, you're, you're maybe, we're all still maybe in some sort of season of disorder, but the reorder starts to emerge. And how would yeah. you say God is kind of reordering your, your life and your faith now? Yeah, I think it's a, important that, yeah, that I, I realize I, I don't have to be done with the disorder to begin to reorder. And I kind of hope to never be done with the disorder to a certain degree, because to me, that's just, I want to remain in a a season of challenging my beliefs and not, I don't want to fall back into like, oh, okay, I've, I've reordered now. I've figured, I've figured it all out now. And then I'm back right where I was again, where I have Mm. this idol of certainty, but what I'm certain about has just changed a little bit, but I'm just as certain as I had been. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there ever again. You know, Gabe, you asked a question recently uh, in a group chat that we have with you and me and your wife and my husband. It was about where our Christianity or where Christianity and being Christ-like diverge. As I thought about that question, I thought that's, to me, that's what deconstruction is. Like that sums up this process really well. It's like continually thinking critically about where our Christianity has become distanced from our Christ and then correcting that course 
So I always want to keep that posture of curiosity and humility. I believe that that'll just lead me to greater and greater discovery of God. So anyhow, the reordering, I think the reordering, I think it's been relying on the Holy Spirit, trusting that, trusting that, that, that can be my compass, that the Holy Spirit can be my compass. And in terms of the reorder, are you, you just said it better than I, I did in the text. I mean, you, I don't know what I said in the text, but you just said the season of disorder is where we start to figure out where Christianity and being Christ-like diverge. I think that's right. how you put it. And that was, that was beautiful. How do you see yourself become do you feel like you're becoming more Christ-like or do you feel like that's now like more of your aim rather than Christianity? Yes, I am. Like I said, I study my Bible differently. I feel more at peace and more confident about listening to God and following where I believe he and the convictions I've gotten from him are leading me. Even if, Others who I love and respect may see things differently. I feel like I'm striving for a Christianity that makes me more inclusive, more loving, more empathetic and compassionate. And to do otherwise is really backwards. And yet, I think if I'm not careful and if I study the Bible and the in the wrong way and look as a, as a, a moral code, a list of rules, a, um, who's right, who's wrong, who's in, who's out, then mm-hmm. my Christianity has stopped making me more loving, more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I feel more free and excited uh, about my faith than I have maybe ever, or at least in the last 30 some years. Awesome. I'm going to ask you another question oh. and we can edit this out. That's why I'm pausing. Okay. <laughs> Has the gospel changed at all for you? Now that's not to say that the gospel changes, but our understanding of the gospel changes mm-hmm. of the good news. How has your understanding of that changed? I think I am more in awe of the mystery of God and the immensity of the gospel. And so I don't expect today to have a full grasp on the depths of God, the limits of the almighty, the the good news. I, I feel like this is something that will continually be revealed more and more and more. So I think that's my first shift. It's not something that like, I've got it. I've arrived. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first thing. I think the next thing is really that God and the gospel is so much greater than the church. And when I say the church, I don't, you know, I mean, the church universal. And I think the last probably thing is that I thought the gospel, I thought of the gospel as this is the good news. We have to share the good news so that people can know God, be saved, go to heaven. But now I believe that God also wants to partner with us, not only to help people come to salvation, but to bring kingdom and shalom in our lifetime here on earth. 
you know, we put a lot of emphasis on performative Christianity. You know, we're going to show up. Our attendance is important. We're going to gather and we're going to sing and we're going to hear a nice message and so forth. But how are we bringing kingdom to the earth? I think that's the gospel too. We've got to be looking at how we can alleviate pain and suffering in our communities. You know, I gave you always say God is love, period. And that's a shift. Again, I, I held up the, the great commission next to the great commandment, the greatest commandment. And I think, you know, not all scripture is viewed with the same weight. And sometimes you have to hold them side by side and one has to come above the other. And I think that I've had a gospel shift in I think the greatest commandment comes before the great commission and that everything I do as a follower should reflect that. Why does love your, the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and your neighbors yourself come before go make disciples of all nations. I think that making disciples of all nations is up to God to do. And it's a byproduct of loving the Mm. byproduct of our love. I think that if we flip those two, it's very easy to become agenda-driven, performative, about production. Uh, Things just get twisted. I think that has to be the fruit of our love. Yeah, that's good. Kelly, what you just said is just, I've never thought of the Great Commission and the Great Commandment not in competition with each other, and that's not what you're saying, but how we tend to put one above the other, but how when we be, maybe begin with loving God, loving others, discipleship happens because it comes mm-hmm. from a core sense of love. But there's, I'm, that, I'm just processing that. What, well, one question I do have in this journey from order through disorder, what have been the biggest challenges that you have faced? I think there's two things that have been uncomfortable, I guess, or challenging. One is that it feels good to know it all. <laughs> like, ah, I got it all together. I kind of like that, and, you know. Um, and so being in a stage of curiosity and exploration can feel just less secure. But obviously, we're not going to go with the flow and put our head in the sand because it's familiar. But, you know, I want to live a courageous faith and be able to step out and challenge uh my thinking to become closer to god so um so there's that little bit of discomfort like oh this is weird i I mean i don't know i'm not sure i think there's also been a strain on some relationships you know a friend of mine had a great conversation with a friend recently who used the analogy of the transfiguration and he was saying how you know peter james and john witnessed the transfiguration of Jesus, but then they had to come back down the mountain and live in a community of people who had not, and not be frustrated with those people because they hadn't seen what those three had seen. So I think that there's been a strain on relationships because we're all in different places in our journey. I'm a part of a fellowship where unity is highly valued, as it should be. I mean, unity is a a biblical principle, but unity and uniformity don't have to be the same thing. So as I and others have been 
rethinking some of the teachings that are commonplace in our Christian community. I think some may be fearful or concerned that that doing so will harm our unity. And so it creates some discomfort with everybody not being in the same place in their belief and, and not everyone responds to that in the same way. And then the other thing I think that has been a little painful is just as I look back at how, we, how we've raised our kids, you know, as parents, I know we're all parents and we love our kids so, so deeply and we want nothing more than to give them the very best that we can. And, and I think for our, the three of us, we all agree that, that that's a, a love for God is the most important thing we could pass on to our kids. And I have some regret about raising my kids in an environment or in a manner where they didn't feel free that they could question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very thankful that, you know, God has, I think, protected them and they're strong and doing well. And, but I feel badly as a mom when I wanted nothing better than to just be a great uh, Christian mother, you know, that um, mm-hmm. it hurts to know that they felt that way. And then, like I've already uh, alluded to, I was just so arrogant about towards other Christians. That's been a, a convicting, kind of painful realization for how many years I looked at people who were walking with God as if they weren't. Yeah, so those are, I think, the challenges. What would you say to somebody who's kind of going into the, a season of disorder and questioning and really maybe even questioning at some deeper levels, like, does God really exist? Is Jesus really real? Why is church so different than what I, than what we, we read about in the new Testament? Like somebody who's really shaking, being shaken to their core. Do you have, mm. would you have anything to say to that person? I think we need to trust ourselves and trust God's spirit and know, trust that he'll lovingly lead us. I would remind people that when God's word tells us that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, it doesn't just mean our bodies. It means our, our hearts and our minds. And, you know, we've got to dig deep into what we feel in our hearts and what we think. It's also really important to try to find, surround yourself with a supportive group of believers who will encourage you to engage your brain and will love you unconditionally, even if you land at some different conclusions than they do, even to the extent that, you know, as you said, maybe you're questioning the very existence of God. I think having that community is so important. You know, we trust ourselves. We have to, um, we have to answer to God ourselves, but we still need people and we need the right people around us. And I don't know if people have trouble finding that. Let us know. We can help. (laughs) We can help people find that find those people. Thank you. Thank you for saying that because I, as you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking, but some of the folks we've talked to the last place they would want the, the last people they can go to are, are their Christ, are Christian friends at mm-hmm. church because they've yeah. already been told that they're just weak in their faith or that maybe they're um, being influenced by demon. I mean, just kind of an accusation coming back at them for having questions and doubts rather than the Christians being kind of safe people mm-hmm. who, who will just listen. So I think sometimes people have a hard time finding safe people, safe Christians who will just right. sit 
and listen. So I'm glad you said if they can't find anybody, maybe they can kind of come your way. So if we hear yeah. from anybody, maybe, and, and it seems like a good fit, maybe we'll connect you with them. This has with been your one permission, of, the of course. That, yeah, of course. This has been one of the things that I think has um, been born out of the pandemic is all of these connections that people are able to make with Zoom and so forth. Um, you know, we have uh, groups of people from literally all over the world that we gather with at different times in different ways to encourage one another, you know, in our faith. And so, yeah, while people may not have someone nearby or, as you said, their church may be the very thing that has perhaps caused them trauma or um, makes them question God. So that's not where they want to go. Um, but I do trust the one thing that, like with my oldest daughter, the one Thing, because I think she she went through a phase where she actually questioned God's existence, I think. But the one thing that I don't regret with all the many things that I regret and how I reacted so poorly at that time in her life, but the one thing I don't regret is uh, really encouraging her to not stop seeking. If there is a God, you want to know him and it's important enough there's nothing more important that you you, you want to find out so if you're mm -hmm. doubting it's okay to doubt it's okay to question it's okay to not agree with others what i think isn't okay is to just give up as you alluded to this um kelly as a parent and and you've maybe packaged it a little bit better how would you parent differently knowing what you know now you mentioned inviting questions Mm -hmm. for, for, for parents who may have children, uh, young adults who are going through this and they're scared, these parents are scared or uncertain, what is your advice to them? How would you help them navigate that? Or even if they're at the, towards the beginning and they want to give them the tools, that's, a, that's two different ends of the spectrum, I understand, but pick that up wherever you want. I think that you can't have true faith without having freedom and you know as a parent you can have kids that are super involved in youth ministry kids that read their bible every morning before school and invite their friends to youth group and you know whatever who don't do drugs don't have sex don't you know who do all the right things and can look like good christians but until they have freedom until they have spiritual freedom and freedom of conscience, that's not faith. That's obedience, perhaps, to their parents. That's respect, and it may be control, but until they have freedom, they have faith. So I think really, you know, we want to train our children in the way they should go, but as they grow, I think we have to parent with increasing freedoms um, and not just freedoms in their activity, what they're allowed to do, but freedom of thought. Have you guys seen the movie, The Village? I think I saw it. I do not know if when he made this film, he was thinking about parenting or about Christian culture or religious culture. But looking at this film through that lens, 
was wild for me because it, you know, the parents in the community very much wanted to control their kids and have them follow what it was. And the, the methods, I won't spoil the movie, but the methods that they used, which were often instilling fear in their kids, mm-hmm. were, were pretty effective. Um, but it also was like holding a mirror up to, I think, a lot of a lot of Christian culture. And I think it's really, really unhealthy. But I would recommend that movie um, and and watching it with that kind of a mindset and see what you think. But so, yeah, I would try. My kids are good. You know, God, God, they love God. God loves them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I would trust them more. I would be less afraid. I would make sure they knew how much I trusted them. I would trust God more with them. You know, he loves Mm -hmm. them more than I do, of course. I would be humble with my kids. But it was hard to be humble with my kids when I wasn't humble with myself. Like, I can't let on to them Mm -hmm. that I don't know everything when I don't, when I think I do. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I would just be a humble person. (laughs) I'm really grateful. We have, you know, close relationships, great communication with our kids. And they've been incredibly gracious and forgiving for the ways that, you know, we hurt them. And I think they also see a lot of good that came out of the way that they were raised and, and um, what we were able to share about who God is with them. So I'm probably focusing on where we missed the mark in our parenting, but I, I think our kids would, would probably largely view it differently and I, I feel the same way. I feel like I wish I wouldn't have parented so much out of fear, which mm. I think instilled, which instilled fear yeah. in my kids that they couldn't fail or make a mistake or, you know, and that's the last thing that I want my kids to think. Right. And I'm, I'm kind of at a point where when I spend time with my kids and I'm so far away from this in reality, but I want to get to a point where their primary reaction from being with me is joy mm-hmm. and that's not where we are now but that's where I want to get to where they just feel loved accepted I want to be the safest person in their life mm-hmm. until they get married and then they have another safe you know the safer person right. and 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 all of that to me is like Christ is me be try, becoming more of a Christ-like parent just being safe and loving and joyful and having peace I would never want to have a baby at my age, but boy, I'd do a much better job than if I could do it now. <laughs> right. No kidding. I hear you. I'm with you. I think most adults, sorry, I just to say most parents would be in that boat looking back like, man, yeah. if I could do it over again. So, well, thank you, Kelly, um, so much. It's, it's a privilege to hear your story. Uh, we love your friendship. Um, love the journey that that really we're on together in this and just following Christ and letting him kind of burn out the impurities and kind of deconstruct the scaffolding that we've built around him so that we can have more of a, a, a pure faith and it's it's I'm thankful to have people in my tribe like you and Phil and Keith and Mindy and, and Heidi um, to kind of just walk this out together thank you so much for what you guys are doing and just the light you're shining on who God really is.